All right. Welcome back to Extra AI, your podcast series on AI and machine learning applications. This is your host, Raghu Banda. And today we are coming up with a topic of uh, leading the data revolution with AI. And I have uh, the honor of inviting a guest, uh, Mr. Manju Devdas, the visionary CEO of Pluto 7 and also the co-founder. Manju is a star word in the field of AI and under his astute leadership, Pluto 7 has become a catalyst in enabling businesses to adopt an AI first approach. So today we will be focusing on this topic about how Pluto 7 with their dynamic partnership with SAP and Google, how they are helping companies transform their businesses. So we'll be talking a bit about uh, their approach of uh, the data revolution with AI and what are the things that they are uh, uh, doing. So Manju will be sharing his rich insights on the symbiotic relationship between data and AI in sculpting the future of the businesses. We'll also delve into the immense potential that AI holds in leveraging data, revolutionizing the business operations, decision-making processes, and various customer experiences. So without any further delay, let's uh, dive into the riveting conversation with Manju. As always, you will find more information at the end of this podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation. All right, uh, welcome back to our uh, Extra AI podcast series where we discuss uh, about the topics, the different topics around AI. So today I'm having an interesting conversation with the co-founder and CEO of uh, Cluedo7. And we are going to dive a bit into the topic of how do you lead the data revolution with AI. So welcome on board, um, uh, Manju Devdas. Uh, maybe could you give me a quick, a little background for our audience about your background and how you are connected to AI or specifically now we speak, now we talk a lot about this generative AI, large language models and ML. And I know you uh, from Pluto 7, you guys are also big time into it. Thank you, Raghu, for the introduction. It's a pleasure and honor to be part of your uh, podcast and also connecting with the enterprise uh, ERP SAP community. Mm-hmm. First of all, uh, it's a pleasure and honor for me to be part of this session, sharing some of my personal experience, my company experience in working with enterprises with their prediction challenges and the solutions as well as working alongside partners like Google and SAP, Mm -hmm. we have been able to help many of our mutual customers transform in the journey around the world. Beautiful. So, uh, yeah, I think that's great to know uh, about um, how you're working with Google Cloud and SAP in the context of uh, building better models. But... Before getting there, I know I start. I want to start our uh, my podcast with a teaser question for my audience, so that they get to get uh, get the hang of it. Like each of us have 
different personal or professional experiences if you look back 10 years or 15 years or 20 years maybe could you quote an example a personal or a professional example where you could see a humongous difference but you do not even realize that you are using ai yeah uh, ragu it's uh, it's interesting that you know how the evolution of technology and mathematics have come together right to do predictions in the form of statistics and eventually that became machine learnings and now generative ai at the end of the day we are trying to predict the future in which our right. if you look at two two decades back or three decades back banking industry was doing predictions of stock price right mm -hmm. so the online trading and all those things started almost 25 years back and and they were using ai early on and we didn't really call much of an ai at that time mm -hmm. even though under the hood it was still ai machine learning but maybe running on on premise so when you fast forward and as i looked at the evolution different enterprises started learning from how banking was adopting mathematical techniques still largely running on premise and in my experience when i was working at cisco we were building machine learning models or not machine learning models those days we were building statistical models to predict forecast and and predict demand and supply inventory positioning and so on those problems itself have not changed mm -hmm. they still remain problems and they'll continue to remain problem but the technology and how well you can solve them and the kind of output you can get have evolved with the technology right simple things today there's a lot of excitement around generative ai but generative ai itself is not new the if you look at some the examples like google gmail auto compose when you put two words you get four more words right did you really think about that as generative ai did it generate something there or when you are doing translation is that generative ai it listened to you in language a spanish and it gave back content in english there is an evolution of ai journey here but there is always a, a tipping point or inflection when the word becomes or the phrase becomes well understood right beautiful no i i like the example you have uh, quoted uh, manju i think uh, uh, i not only do uh, and host podcasts i also listen to a lot of podcasts and one of these conversations i was listening into this good times podcast by arti and shriram and they've got a guest and they were talking about the same thing right like um, how today's analytics is today's mere analytics is yesterday's machine learning or yesterday's predictive analytics because that's how the technology is changing rapidly and today's machine learning might be mere analytics for tomorrow for the tomorrow's world but yeah you've rightfully mentioned about the great example that you quoted about generative ai and how gmail is putting those Uh, words for us any before getting into our uh, real conversation can you provide some upcoming some thoughts around the upcoming ai advancements in the current world and how you foresee it yeah so ragu when we think about the advancement right we all know that technology always has to serve a purpose of saving either time money or human lives there's always a purpose no technology ever survives for a long time without a clear purpose 
And when that purpose becomes much more clearer, these technologies advance. Now, when people are understanding the purpose of, uh, you know, the, the when to use AI mm-hmm. and how to use AI and where to use AI, the evolution accelerates, which is what we are seeing. If you take the example of chat GPT, was the underlying algorithm and data sets and all those things not available before chat GPT? Absolutely, it was available. It was in different forms, different shapes. But what made this way bigger is because the UI became simpler, easier for anybody to ask a question and get an answer. But there is also parallel evolution that has been happening with different software companies, different enterprises, Google, Microsoft, SAP, Oracle, you name it. Everybody has been evolving in their own context for their applications. Some more focused on enterprise, some more focused on B2C, some open source. Mm -hmm. And if you take Tesla as an example, it's one of the best examples of AI put to real life action as your car moves. It's AI continuously working and AI that is tested to save and protect human life. So as you think about your even example of your Tesla becoming more and more autonomous, Mm -hmm. the coexisting with the human beings is going to be the toughest thing in all of it. Right. Technology is ready yesterday. But how do you put them in the context of a business, a user on a street, or or, or in putting in the right use for the right purpose, and also being responsible, whether it's at an enterprise, government, or an individual? Mm-hmm. All these things start becoming a lot more critical because there is a general sense that if you don't put the technology to the right use, it can cause harm as well. Just like any other major technology in the past or any other innovation in the past has created such worries. Right. Yeah, beautiful. I think I like uh, the aspect of uh, developing and building responsible AI and using the technology for the right purposes and putting the right thoughts around it. Yeah, that's a great uh, segue into our conversation. Maybe uh, let us take a quick break, come back and get into our real uh, meat of our conversation. All right, uh, welcome back. We are just about getting started into an interesting conversation with uh, Mr. Manju. I know we have uh, briefly touched base on the different advancements and the AI aspects of how AI is transforming enterprises and consumer businesses. Uh, So, how do or what are the current ai innovations that you or uh, your uh, you might it might be interesting for you or your company as such uh, manju and could you speak a few words about that before we get into the other details about it yeah Raghu, so when we think about innovation with ai when you look at a wide spectrum of customers or partners that we engage with. There is uh, between, not just with Google and SAP, but also the whole ecosystem of enterprise, mid-size, even SAP customers when we work Mm -hmm. with. There is varying level of understanding of what AI is and what AI is not. Mm -hmm. And based on where the customer is in the journey, we have to co-innovate with them accordingly. But again, AI 
Sometimes it carries excitement and, and imagination. But what we try to be careful with is, that, is that solving a real problem which is worth solving? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might it will solve a problem, but it's really not worth solving because you could as well put an alternate method which is much more cheaper and efficient to manage in the future. So we'll, we look with a pragmatic lens and many times it is the small, repeated, boring human problems when applied with AI creates mm -hmm. significant ROI. For example, when we work with customers in automating their factories, where there are parts moving on the conveyor belt and you need to distinguish if there are 40 different parts, a human has to sort that. Mm -hmm. Rather, when you put a, a, a camera and capture the image and you classify, and not only can it do that well, it's it can get way accurate. Mm -hmm. Such innovations are, are definitely very exciting to us because you not only us, but our customers see immediate value and also can multiply that when you do that on one conveyor belt, then they can imagine that across many conveyor belts, across different manufacturing plants, and maybe even around the world. Mm -hmm. One of our customers, AB InBev, when they saw that when we put a machine learning model to determine when they should replace a beer filter, they saved $10 million. Once they understood that this can, this is possible, then they expanded that innovation into multiple locations, multiplying the value out of it. Mm -hmm. Like this, there are many use cases of customers wanting to pack the right number of jeans in a box or identifying defects in making toilets or identifying when the brakes in their cars could wear out. So I can go through a long list of 400 plus customers who have been innovating with us, Google and SAP. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating to see how these innovation journeys evolve. But I have to also tell you that like any other innovation, there's a good portion that doesn't yield the expected results right. as, as needed. But that's part of any innovation. But the key thing we have learned is how to put method to the madness. Innovation is not random. So I will. I would want to pause there a bit, uh, Manju, and I would want to kind of, uh, before getting into the examples part, maybe I want to, I know you are also talking about generative AI stuff in your introduction, and you are saying that, yeah, Pluto 7 is also involved in uh, building uh, or journeying towards using these generative AI technologies. Now, in the context of this partnership with Google and SAP, uh, what what are the things that you are looking into in, in, the, in, in the context of generative AI or in the general advanced analytics, specifically with the Google Cloud Platform and SAP BTP? Any thoughts around that? Yeah, so the awareness of generative AI shot up quite a bit in 2023. Right. When I saw this generative AI evolution kick in, one of the things that I remembered is at the beginning of pandemic, which was literally almost like nearly three years back, mm -hmm. we were working with a large enterprise. And at that time, they had roughly about 
200,000 parts and each part has about hundreds of components and configuration for them to search information was hard. Right. And at that time, to solve the problem, we used a combination of NLP, BERT's algorithm, and a whole bunch of algorithm. And we showcased how it can be solved and can be better than any of those capabilities and generate, based on natural language, generate SQL, generate an outcome. So when we did that, we didn't think it was generated to AI. Yeah. We just solved the problem and we used uh, a whole bunch of Google Care tools, technologies, and some open source, and we solved the problem. However, that technology was too good to be true in the context of the customer because now to make it mainstream, they had to create wider awareness. So it took longer. When we look at how Generative AI has caught up now and how the innovation is now spreading wide across. Uh, it is exciting to see that because one of the challenges with generative AI is centralization of data. Mm -hmm. Unless the world sees the value of these generative AI and the ROI they can expect, and even if they start imagining use cases, as long as they acknowledge that they need to centralize and organize meaningful data and they'll get to the right outcome, we are bound to see good outcomes out of generative AI. But we also see that companies will make mistakes. They will jump on the generative AI bandwagon. They will get into that, okay, I'm, I'm going to get some quick results. True. Yes, some cases they will, and they might. But there will be quite a few cases where they're going to waste money. But that's part of how things evolve anyway in an industry. True. No, I, I, I agree with what you mentioned. I think uh, whenever we see a new hype or which later becomes into a buzz, obviously, yeah, many companies like you mentioned have been doing these generative capabilities in the past as well, with the foundational models. But when the new terminology comes in place, we try to answer mm, the same we try to use the same key for answering many of the different things. So maybe we do not need generative stuff in all the uh, solutions that we need, but it has to be used as needed. I agree uh, completely with what you said. So taking one step back, now you have been working with uh, different kinds of customers. So what are, I know we briefly touched base that, but what are the typical challenges that are faced by the customers, and why do you think that is becoming a problem before we get into the other aspects of it? If you look at the, the challenges customers are facing, challenges and expectations go hand in hand. Right. So if you think about uh, a, a beauty product making company, so we work with a, a cement manufacturer, a beauty product or automobile company, uh, they all face a few standard challenges or problems. I want to position my inventory better. I want to sense the demand as the demand goes up or down. I want to be able to understand my customer's buying patterns, behavior. I want to know when I will lose a customer. If you think about it, are these were these not the problems 100 years back? It absolutely was a problem. Hmm. Were they not a problem pre-internet? It was a problem. Is it not a problem today? It is a problem. But what's different? The expectations are different. 
if my customer changes their mind to purchase or not purchase 10 minutes back, I want to know that now so that I can either position my inventory to sell or not sell. That was not the case maybe pre-internet era, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that expectation of shrinking time uh, has has be, has taken it to the next level now. So the the same problems when somebody shows up at a store or when they want to order online, they want that inventory to be available, right? So inventory positioning and also storing the right amount of inventory at the right location is a very expensive component in most enterprises, whether it's retail, consumer package, automobile. Imagine storing 20 cars extra in a parking lot when you know the demand is going to come three months down the line. You just have a whole bunch of equipment sitting there. Or if you just knew through your data that the demand is going to show up three months along the line, obviously your decisions are different. You would save money. So the same thing has been is getting applied more and more in, in, in these different businesses, whether you're ordering um, uh, 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 soap or, or a car or a uh, food, different uh, products have different life cycle and different expectation. And the expectation of a customer that if I order something, I'll get it in four hours or even 10 minutes in some parts of the world mm-hmm. has become real now. Right. So this is where I think uh, AI and analytics is playing a big role, right? Like, like you mentioned, the problems have always been the same or maybe the problem definition might have changed uh, but the requirements of people have been the same but it has been compounded and it has been increased saying that hey I do not want to wait so much time I want to have things right away and this is where the AI technologies or the predictive analytics technologies are being used a lot more so that the end users or the customers are benefiting out of it, right? So now taking that a bit further and understanding that with the generative AI stuff or the large language models that are entering these different enterprise mainstream workflows, uh, how do you see this impacting these enterprise work streams and why suddenly that has become a priority now. I understand the business problem that you mentioned earlier that yes, and then I understand that yes, now I I have a lot of data with me. Yes, now I try to understand the need and I don't want to um, occupy my parking lot with uh, more cars that are needed if the demand is going to come 20, 20 uh, three months down the lane. So, yes, that is true. Now, with the buzz of uh, generative AI and large language models entering these mainstream uh, enterprise work streams, how do you see this is changing the market? And why do you think that suddenly this has become a bigger priority for enterprises? I, I know you briefly mentioned that some places, there are bound to make some mistakes. How do you see this prioritization evolving in the market? I will use the internet era or dot-com era as an example, although it's not a 
going to be an exact apples to apples comparison. Right. While it does look like this became uh, a, a hyper growth all of a sudden, uh, and there is some truth to it, mm-hmm. but it's not so sudden as it looks. And I'll explain why. Right. If you think about, go back to the internet era and think about when internet was invented mm-hmm. in the late 70s by the military, the DARPA and so on. Right. Universities explored it, experimented with it. The email started becoming more prevalent in late 80s. And then in 90s, the internet started, really started t- t- taking shape. But when did the big boom of internet happen? It was in late 90s. Mm-hmm. And in early 2000, to the level that it went all the way up, and then we we know it very well. It's the dot com bust. Now, why did it take so long, two decades, for internet to take shape, and then why did it go overboard, and why did it bust? It is because of the change in expectation. When the expectation and imagination goes out of control, then there is overinvestment that happens. Then the bust happens. But after the bust, did everything die and the internet go away? No. The ones with the flock went away and the ones with substance and generating real business value stayed. Mm-hmm. So when Amazon.com consistently delivered end customer value of better goods, better options, reliable delivery, which is the real value proposition end customer. And by the way, they happen to use internet. True. So it's Amazon.com, but they survived, but some other dot-coms did not survive. And Google evolved post.com. And Google.com is a dot-com too, but they solved a very simple problem. They organized the world's data and made it accessible, saving people time, whether it's through search, maps, and more. So it has always been about saving time and money for end users, whether it's an enterprise end user or a B2C end consumer. The same thing is expected to happen with analytics, machine learning, AI, generative AI. While for the broader world, it might look like this all happened a a sudden, uh, at least working alongside a partner, we have been expecting and anticipating for six years. At least as long as I've been uh, working alongside with them, and then for the last couple of years with SAP, mm-hmm. and but our context is a lot to do with enterprises. Right. For enterprises, they are they they definitely experiment and explore, but enterprises have complex process. They are existing complex text landscape. Mm-hmm. It's lot more difficult to take a new technology and enable in a traditional enterprise than to open a digital native enterprise like Uber, who have no legacy baggage, no legacy process. They come up with a new business model and they come up with a software which connects supply and demand of a driver and a passenger and uses the latest machine learning, cloud, all the technologies available, maps, location-based services available to provide new value to customer. And when that happened, the world adopted it. Now, even if you look at that Uber technology, for example, it runs on Google Cloud and I think Azure. If you look at it, that innovation is almost seven, eight years old now. True. Right? And I don't think they thought a lot about machine learning and all those things and with a big hype, but 
they just naturally went and solved the problem. So now other enterprises are have been going through this journey. Some of the customers that we have worked with, Levi's, Kohl's, AB InBev, Cisco, Maruti, Hero, TVS, I can go through a long list. They've been innovating for the last five years. But there is, even these enterprises are run by people. And True. people have various levels of understanding of data, cloud, analytics, AI, machine learning, generative AI. And depending on what problem they are trying to solve, they will adapt the technology, adopt the technology accordingly. So it's uh, it's more to do with change management, but when the broader awareness of the value of these technology becomes evident, mm -hmm. then all the pieces that have been brewing in the background suddenly starts converging. And that's what happened in the last six months. And you will see a lot more in the coming 12 months. That's a great way of putting it and tying it up with the wave in 90s. I very well remember those days, that late 90s, early 2000s, when we were these crazy internet.com boom days. Uh, yeah, I think it, it kind of reflects the past, how technology shapes and is uh, absorbed into the consumer world first and then into the enterprise world. I very much agree to that aspect because on the enterprise side, you have to, things are a bit more complex like you mentioned. The business processes are more complex. You also have to take care of your customers, customer as well. Uh, so yeah, and like, like you mentioned, imagination and expectation are gonna be the key. So it's like we we we've been having some great conversation, um, uh, Manju. Uh, I know we did talk about the introduction of these uh, new technologies. We also talked about the business problem, that the 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 different challenges that the customers face, and you also beautifully explained about how it is more complex in the enterprise world compared to the consumer world because you also have to think about the customer's customer problem. It's two levels. And also we've talked about how imaginations and expectations are very much needed. So let us now get a bit into the solution aspects of it. I know we have uh, now at our disposal, we have these different technologies. Uh, so maybe could you bring up or could you share an example of how all these technologies can be used in a particular customer scenario to address these problems and in and 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 finally increase the business value for the end user like you mentioned how during the dot com times how amazon always uh, went through that and always raised the business problem and of course we had uh, during that time unicorns like uh, google came out and later on we have uh, Uber's kind of thing uh, which came out. So maybe in your, like you've been mentioning in the last five, six years, a lot of these things have been happening in your customer scenarios. If you can project a solution that can encapsulate all these technologies and how you can help a customer scenario. Yeah, so when we, over the last few years, right, uh, like uh, we discussed a little bit early on, that different companies adapt technologies at different pace. Mm -hmm. um, one of the companies they are into household goods, think of 
fashion products, think of furnitures, uh, think of uh, consumer packaged goods companies. So they belong in that category. Mm-hmm. And when when they came to us, they had looked at our website, they had looked at that we have solved many different problems, and they posed a very interesting uh, scope to us. They said, we want to use the latest technology, but it has to be to transform the way our shoppers shop in our stores, the way they transact, not only the in the stores, but also in the back end. Okay. Our supply chain. So what do you think you can do to transform? And you have the flexibility to use any of the known technologies, and we prefer Google technologies. And imagine in these kind of landscape, typically there's an SAP, there is various softwares. So SAP is still the backbone of these enterprises. Mm -hmm. And when they are looking at it, there's now, okay, you have a variety of technologies. And the customer is saying they want to run the business close to near real time, right? So, and and you're, you have the flexibility to use various technologies. Like it's a little bit like being kid in the candy store, but you know that if you just start using technologies everywhere, it, it goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. So the exercise we had to go through is first let's prioritize the use cases, right? What have we learned from the industry? What can be done? So then we first looked at their retail stores. And in the retail stores, you have consumers picking uh, a shirt out of the out of the rack, or they're picking up a jeans, or they're picking up, uh, let's say, a bottle of perfume. So they're picking all these in the stores, and as they're picking, what really is happening? It's an inventory adjustment. Right. So we had to take vision technologies mm-hmm. and apply, capture the live live images to classify what product they picked. Mm-hmm. And if the product is picked and goes to the checkout counter, the checkout counter application picks it up. Mm-hmm. The customer takes a shirt and goes in front of a, a mirror. It, it it has to show what kind of uh, uh, what kind of product and also show recommendations. Mm-hmm. And then when you're dealing with these customers, they also wanted to make sure that if there are quality issues or suppliers are not delivering, you rank those suppliers. Mm-hmm. And in the back office, when the goods are moving, based on the goods movement, you make ad- adjustments of inventories in, in near real time. So what essentially are you doing with all these technologies? There are events happening in your physical world. Somebody picked a shirt, somebody moved a box, uh, somebody picked a perfume out of a rack. All of them are events which happens to be visual events, which can you can capture through a camera. Mm-hmm. Now with machine learning and AI technologies, you can classify what they picked and then you integrate with your backend, your ERPs and show the adjustment of inventory plus one or minus one. Right. You took an event-based architecture, you captured AI, using AI, you captured what product, you made an inventory adjustment in your ERP and customer doesn't even know that you use these technologies, right? right? So now AI got embedded in a in a simple business process of fulfilling a customer demand and adjusting inventory. Mm-hmm. Now, when you start thinking like this, in in a in a in a capability, uh, when you put a solution like this, you're thinking about not just a real-time event-based architecture, but you're taking video, vision intelligence, mm-hmm. 
you're looking at recommendations engine, you're looking at capturing information in the form of analytics, dashboards, mm-hmm. you're putting it all together in the form of a solution that an end user can understand without having to worry about what's under the hood. Mm-hmm. So that's how we think about solution. And when you think about this, you have to worry about different kind of enterprise users. Right. Some enterprise users are very, very familiar with ERP screens. That's the what they do from morning to evening. Right. Or a certain technologies. You do not want to take them to a very different look and feel and UI and go retrain them. True. Rather, these technologies have to sit in the workflows, sit in the ERP forms or the analytics tools that they are comfortable with, but show them the power of analytics and AI without having to know, was it RNN model, CNN model, or neural net, or or what ran behind the scene? Right. Right. So beautiful. So now, taking that one step further, how do you, um, like, uh, how do you evaluate the effectiveness? No, you've beautifully explained the complete example, right? Like uh, at various stages, uh, you have a lot of data that you are now processing. So how do you evaluate the effectiveness of your models that are being built with the data that you have? Uh, And maybe any thoughts that you could provide and how Pluto 7 has from your standpoint, how you are making sure that the models that are built are effective. So when we work with the customer, we have a methodology and a journey that we take them through. Of course, we adapt to uh, their own journey. I mean, a typical Fortune 500 enterprise is evaluating many hyperscaler technologies, many machine learning, many analytics technologies. First, we have to understand what have they already experimented and tried or are trying. Mm-hmm. Second, what are the business problems they have been wanting to solve or have tried or have tried and failed? Understanding that landscape and what's the expectation. Right. That's step one. The step, once you narrow down to these are the business problems that the customer is saying that they want to solve, you cannot just take it in the face value. So you have to validate, is it worth solving? Sometimes you have to bring in the third-party perspective. Right. Um they might have read on a Harvard Business Review or a Wall Street Journal that so-and-so competitor went and implemented AI and, and the cloud and they got a huge benefit. While that's all true, you're not getting the full details and you have to apply that to, in your context, in your business. So we go through a second step, which is a value engineering exercise. What is the value of solving this problem? Right. And more often than otherwise, right, it is the technology cost and the cloud cost or the AI cost and the engineer's cost is what gets evaluated, mm-hmm. but the chain management cost gets undermined. Right. When an enterprise is going through introduction of a lot of new technologies, you have to train non-technical people and that cost is bigger than what you think, right? Sure. And most people think. Mm-hmm. So because that gets undermined or that doesn't get factored into the plan, then the adoption becomes a challenge. Okay. So we build methodologies to catch that pitfalls early on. And when we start the customer with this journey, because we have done this hundreds of times, and a typical customer has SAP, and they're evaluating or have been using Google technologies, they're evaluating with AI, we walk them through these methodologies, we show them what works and what doesn't work and how they should avoid uh, the pitfalls. 
for the most part, customers are quite rational. Right? There's always going to be some corner case scenarios where they get excited about technology and they want to put it in the front, but we, we try our best to educate them. Beautiful, beautiful. So now comes to the most interesting question of uh, the podcast that I ask my guests, or I sometimes say the million dollar question. How do you differentiate from the competition? I know there's huge competition out there with companies like Pluto 7 or the others, uh, but how do you differentiate from the competition and how do you make sure that your customers are clicking on to you? Uh, thanks uh, for the question, Raghu. You know, the every company uh, strives and like every other company, we continue to strive to differentiate ourselves, to create a stronger value proposition to our end customer. And we are a solution company at the heart of it, which means right. we pick the best technologies possible from SAP, best from Google, blend them together to solve a problem to our end customer. What stands out from our customer's lens when they look at Pluto 7 is, first, they see that their innovation can be faster working with us. Mm -hmm. They see that they don't need to spend time trying to figure out different components of whether they're looking at a BTP or a data sphere or an IBP and on the Google side, it's Vertex AI, Generative AI, BigQuery and, and many of the technologies, right? They don't need to stitch it all together. It's not only that, uh, we have done this hundreds of times. So we have built the methodologies, templates, the code, the platform, which deploys in the tenant. And they can see that we install live in a few hours. And to combine all these technologies and install live in a few hours is too good to be true in some customers' mind. But it didn't just happen. We have been doing this for six years. Mm -hmm. And our amazing partners, both Google and SAP, have been co-innovating with us. So that experience gets faster time to value. So Raghu, the third most important point, which really differentiates us is when, when our customers come to us, they're typically gone to Google and SAP and have described the problem and situation. By definition, once Google and SAP have validated or either one of them have validated, it's a complex problem. Right. And, and the solution also involves many pieces of technology, not just technology, it requires domain experience mm -hmm. and it requires experience of having solved similar problems for similar enterprises or similar world businesses, similar scale, either in same vertical or different vertical, in same geography or different geography. Mm -hmm. So you have to bring in all those experiences, combine them to build a solution or enable a solution for the customer using our pre-built solution accelerators and because the customer has been able to see this value and, and and it stands out, that has become our differentiator. So we blend our domain knowledge, mm -hmm. our experience with the technology, as well as experience of deeply understanding data centralization, data integrations, machine learning, AI, and now generative AI. Mm -hmm. We're able to bring these technologies efficiently. And to top it off, the understanding the users and the chain management, we augment that with our solution. So this is standing out. So the same customer who is asking us to help and serve them have vendor choices. And these are typically large enterprises where they have every possible GSIs in their list. Mm -hmm. But more than ever, 
now the customers are looking for super specialized vendors and partners right and bring in the depth right awesome uh, amazing i i like the way you have uh, explained the differentiation factor uh, manju i know um, it's great having this conversation with you i try to keep the podcast our podcast conversations to under 45 minutes so that the effect is there with the audience so that they can get the gist of what we have been doing uh, been discussing so before we close the conversation can you provide any closing remarks for our audience where and how yeah if i were to suggest a few things uh, to the audience here irrespective of what your role or how you plan to use these technologies and capabilities whether it's advanced analytics ai generative ai for most part the audience might be in in uh, some enterprise role or even applying for their in their own personal life creating an enterprise company or experimenting with with the technology there are few things i would suggest right first is do recognize that this is a disruptive period mm-hmm. but at the same time uh, don't get carried away by these this is my personal opinion don't get carried away by all the jobs are going to go away and and you know uh, all the fear mongering which which happens mm-hmm. yes such disruptive changes has happened before and humans evolve and adapt very well right. but at the same time be very conscious about why the change is going to have a material impact in terms of labor force skill sets and expectation that is real so pick up new skills evolve so that's the first thing i i suggest irrespective of the roles and uh, the the uh, or whether it's at a job or personal life Mm-hmm. the second is the pace of change that we have seen at least i can tell from last 25 years of experience in the technology space the pace of change is much faster in this round mm-hmm. this year and it is a pent up demand that caused the pace to accelerate further right when the market got disrupted during covid and money got pumped in, pumped into the market there is an artificial inflated buffer that got built just to avoid massive unemployment right that created inefficiencies good or bad people moved away from their jobs into remote locations it looked too good to be true and and people got settled and maybe they are very happy with what they are doing right but the fundamentals of economics of labor has not gone away whether you sit on the employer side or employee side you have to look at the value you are generating and you have to take the value generation to the next level that's the second piece of advice Mm-hmm. The third is the geographic advantage of during mainframe era then the client server era then the internet era the geographic advantage kept getting diluted if i was in the western part of the world the it had a premium to carry versus eastern that was like 40 60 years back today when a new technology or capability comes out cloud ai it's the disruption is happening simultaneously around the world and different geographies are running at different pace so the world is a competition at the same time maintain your own local value add of being in the time zone and learning these technologies and adapting to something real that others see value in 
Beautiful. Some great piece of advice there, Manju. Thanks for uh, coming on our podcast. Thank you, Raghu. It's always great to be engaged with the user community and looking forward to staying engaged with your community and your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. All right. So now we are uh, nearing the end of another fascinating episode of Extra AI. So let us uh, wrap up this uh, podcast. I must first say thanks uh, to Mr. Manju Dev Das. It has been an incredible, insightful and enlightening uh, conversation with you. Uh, so Manju, your profound knowledge and perspective on the data revolution through AI has indeed been an eye-opener for all of us. On behalf of our listeners and the entire Extra AI team, I thank you for the time to share your expertise and experience with us. We are looking forward to seeing the continued success of Pluto 7 in its remarkable journey. As always, I will be tagging Mr. Manju on my LinkedIn post. Uh, so you can, if you have any further questions, you can directly reach out to Mr. Manju or you can alternatively reach out to me and I can put you in touch with uh, Mr. Manju. As always, uh, you can also reach out to me on my LinkedIn handle, Raghubanda, or on my Twitter handle, RKBanda, or you can directly reach out on our uh, website, extraAI.com. And you could also find a huge repository of other AI conversations that I've had with many different visionary leaders. And finally, I would like to thank our dedicated audience once again for joining us in this exploration of the transformative power of AI. Your engagement and interest fuel our desire to bring you more conversations on that matter and then conversations that enlighten and enrich our understanding of this fast-paced world of AI. We hope that uh, today's discussion has added a new perspective to your understanding of the evolving role of AI and data in the business transformation. Remember this uh, data revolution is here and it's propelling us all into an exciting new era of technological evolution. So let's keep learning, let's keep questioning and let's keep innovating. Thank you once again for being part of our extra AI journey. We hope to have you with us again on our next journey. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep pushing the boundaries of what is possible. Have a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you're tuned in from. Happy predicting the future with AI technologies. Thank you, and bye-bye now.